0: This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends, they improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 42 of Good Beer Matters. We have
1: such a great beer culture and such a great food culture, but it's seldom you see the two come together. What happened with craft beer 10, 15 years ago is now happening with American cheese. I would take beer over wine if I had to go to battle any day, because it's just, you've got more depth of,
0: of tricks to pull from, for sure. It may surprise you to hear that cheese and beer are surprisingly similar. Both are made with farm ingredients, both are fermented to some extent, and both have become very complex and interesting. There are even a number of brewers who started using dairy equipment way back in the day. So why is it that when people think of cheese pairings, most of us default to wine? In this episode, we're going to break down how cheese is made, discuss variations, and get into what makes a great pairing. I also want to introduce you to the American Cheese Society that works to promote and support craft cheesemakers, much like the Brewers Association does for craft beer. We also discussed that, the wine may be good, beer and even cider usually come out ahead when paired with cheese. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 42 of Good Beer Matters with author, cheese and pairing expert, Steve Jones. about cheese and and, and beer, uh, especially together, for quite some time now. Um, I have uh, dabbled quite a bit with hosting some beer and cheese uh, tasting events and, and have really started to begin learning more about cheese. But I am definitely a neophyte and um, and I, I want to learn uh, from from you. And, and, and uh, when I reached out to the American Cheese Society, um, all fingers ended up pointing in your direction. So it's funny, we're three hours away, so I can't wait to talk to you more. (laughs) Will you please uh, introduce yourself and and tell us a little bit about your history with beer and cheese? And and I I, I know uh, there's so much more to it. Uh, You've got free reign to tell us anything and everything.
1: Yeah, I'm Steve Jones. I own Cheese Bar here in Portland, Oregon. And earlier this year, my first book came out. It is called Cheese, Beer, Wine, Cider, 75 Perfect Pairings. It's kind of a field guide to pairing cheese with different beverages.
0: You started in wine. Um, You were tasked with... uh... Uh, in fact, you know, I, I bought your book. Um, i downloaded it on Kindle and, and I I didn't have enough time to read it cover to cover. But of course, all the pairings, um, they are perfect as a reference to go back to, which I'm sure I will. But I did read a little bit about you and I did kind of read through the uh, the just you kind of go into a deeper understanding of beer and cheese. And, and, and I thought that was just wonderful. But what I gleaned from that book is. Uh, you started in wine, they had you um, uh, work on the cheese bar, and and dutifully, uh, you said yes, <laughs> or serendipitously, um, but you have spent a tremendous amount of time uh, learning about cheese, uh, tasting cheese, learning about wine, tasting wine, learning about beer, tasting beer, learning about cider, tasting uh, cider, and you, um, if not... Before then, definitely for putting this book together, you went you put yourself through the ringer of of comparing and contrasting and trying to find um, different combinations that would work.
1: Yeah, we worked on this book for over four years. We paired once a week every week, uh, and for the seventy five pairings, there's alternative pairings for each one too. So there's basically about three hundred and fifty pairings. Um, but to get each pairing that ended up in the book was, you know, a multiple-week process, generally. So, it, it, yeah, it was pretty arduous. Uh, it was pretty pretty fun most of the time. Uh, some of them were, were much harder than others, and some of them happened, you know, almost immediately. We're like, oh, I think this will work well, and it did. Other ones we thought would work well, and we had to just struggle and struggle and struggle. In fact, one cheese in particular, we... We went back to probably twenty times before we got a pairing for it that we felt was really good.
0: Well, it's funny because uh, I, I'm going to say this and then I'm going to immediately back away from this ledge. Um, I, I feel a little bit of uh, a little bit of kinship from the standpoint of I challenged myself to uh, essentially now write a couple articles for uh, Craftbeer.com on uh, pairing cheese and beer, and then the second one was uh, pairing. Uh, uh, beer, cheese, and charcuterie, and and for the in, in both of those articles took tremendous amount of research and time. And I remember just getting a bunch of friends together, and I grabbed I think 20 different beers, uh, kind of like uh, highlighting the the major styles. And I think I grabbed a dozen different cheeses to kind of give a, a broad scope of what was out there. And then we all just kind of took. Took our time, just kind of trying to find the pairings that worked, and it was a lot of fun, but it was a lot of work. And that was just yeah. one—that was just for one little article. I can't imagine what you had to go through. Yeah, it
1: was—it was great. I mean, luckily, my co-author is, is very diligent and patient, and you know, we we both kind of pushed each other to keep going. So I think it could have—it could have died by the wayside, you know, a year into this project. But we we pushed through and. You know, now we're
0: super proud of what we end up with. Yeah, I, I, it, that seems like um, one of those things. Uh, uh, I'm sure you've gotten the comment of like, "Oh, you had to taste beer and cheese. Oh, how rough it <laughs> must have been." Um, yeah. But I, I feel like I have a glimpse into how much work and effort and and uh, that must have uh, you must have put in, and how easily that whole project could have been derailed. Because at some point, you're thinking, "Man, I just want some water and some Doritos." <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, there was a, a lot of uh, lentils
0: afterwards, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. It, uh, it kind of reminds me of that classic, uh, classic old story of the chef who makes just amazing food, uh, you know, all night, every night, and comes home, and they're hungry, and they just make a quesadilla. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. yep. they're done cooking. I don't want anything fancy. I just need something that I don't have to think about. Uh, yeah. So that, that is the, the burden uh, upon your shoulders, I assume. For sure. But, uh, you
1: know. One,
0: one worth taking for sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, and uh, f- I mean, please forgive me. I I have not yet heard of uh, your cheese bar um, in Portland, and you know I don't live near enough to Portland, but close enough where I kind of feel like I should have known about it. Uh, tell us more about that shop and what you do there.
1: So cheese bar will turn ten years old in March. Um, I basically took my original cheese shop, which is called Steve's Cheese. And we just dropped it down in the middle of a bar. So it's, uh, it's a full-service full cheese shop, about 200 to 250 cheeses at any given time. Um, and it's surrounded by a very nice little pub, about 30 seats. We have uh, six tap handles, five dedicated to beer, one dedicated to cider, a bottle list of about 50 different beers, about 50 different wines, and about 20 different ciders. Um, and then a, a real kind of a, a beverage-friendly menu, things that go well with those different beverages. And just kind of combined all my passions. And of have good food, good beer, good cheese, all under one roof. I think in Oregon, you probably would agree with this, we have such a great beer culture and such a great food culture, but it's seldom you see the two come together. And I feel like beer... Is a serious beverage that deserves serious food, and it seldom is, is given that, you know, that opportunity. You know, it, it's quite often just served with fries and nachos and so on and so forth. And mm-hmm. So we wanted to give beer the opportunity to really show what it can do with, with good quality food.
0: Well and I think Double. that's a, I think that's extraordinary and and I feel like this conversation is going to be would be the the great culminating conversation at the end of this uh uh podcast but we'll you know we're here let's let's talk about it you know I I have seen um plenty of places of delis and you know uh bottle shops where they put all the ingredients there but they don't have anyone to help you learn how to put that puzzle together um mm-hmm. and and there are very few places Uh, I I can't think of one off the top of my head right now where they have all the pieces and ingredients put together and a guide who will actually help you through the process. Um, Too many times you have just great cheese that you can't pronounce and so therefore uh, I don't want to take the risk. We need a guide to help them through that process and help them understand this is easier than you think and it's far better than what you expect.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's that's our primary job, you know, when we're behind the counters too is to demystify the product, make it fun, make it approachable. You know, it's cheese is peasant food as is beer at the end of the day, you know, so it should be consumed by by everyone and not be held up on this pedestal that makes it unapproachable because it's it's an everyday food. That should be consumed
0: and enjoyed. Absolutely, it, it. I mean, cheese is made from milk that comes from an animal on a farm, generally. So it, it it can't get more peasant than down to earth than that. Yeah. Uh. Well, talk to me. Tell me what the ACS is. I. I that's another major component. Uh, component. I want to make sure we we discuss. Sure, the American Cheese Society. Um, it's it's a Group of
1: cheesemakers, cheesemongers, cheese enthusiasts. It's it's our primary uh, professional organization, and uh, we have a yearly competition slash judging that uh, that this coming summer is going to be in Portland, Oregon. So uh, it's a great opportunity if anyone's in this neck of the woods. It'll be I think it's July 22nd through the 25th. And it's a gigantic conference of a bunch of cheese dorks coming together and really enjoying each other's company and having sessions about pairing cheese and beverages and cultures and, you know, uh, food safety laws and all kinds of things. But it culminates with a festival of cheese that um, anyone could get a ticket to where the 2,000-plus cheeses that we will judge are all out at the same time. So that's a pretty amazing opportunity for people to really see What's going on in the American cheese society, um, which is simply amazing. I mean, the growth curve on this thing—it's just like craft beer. We're about we're about probably ten years behind the craft beer curve, but you can that trajectory is identical to what happened with craft beer 10, 15 years ago is now happening with American
0: cheese. Interesting. So, and it, well, there are a couple of different ways we can go with that. But as far as this conference goes, that's that's something that's open to the public. It is. You can. It's. Um,
1: it is a uh, – uh, there's a fee, definitely. Um, you can buy a daily pass. You can buy passes to specific parts of it, or you can buy a pass to the entire, entire three-day experience. Um, but it is it is separat- separatable. You, know, you can take it into different chunks if you'd like to just do one component of it. And I think if you go online, uh, the schedule is – probably out there at least in a rudimentary form now and, it, and over the next couple months it'll start to be populated more with the sessions and stuff
0: well and i guess the the most important question about this i have is will they serve beer there
1: they will definitely serve beer there Cheesemakers okay. uh, don't get off the farm very often and when they do they like to drink a lot of beer
0: they like to whoop it up don't they
1: yeah yeah that's yeah, a pretty it's a pretty fun event and yet yeah, the, the Beer and cheese is really probably our fastest growing component within American Cheese Society for the beverage pairing. Like every year's conference now always has at least one beer and cheese pairing component. Mm. Where well like 10 years ago, that was not even an inkling. And now it's basically if you had a conference and you didn't have that component, people would be like, well, where's the beer and cheese part?
0: So. Wow, um, yeah, I, I I may need to try to go to that just to increase my knowledge on cheese, uh, so that I can just do a better job with uh, some of the events that I host. But um, uh, so so that is the American Cheese Society. But we I have um, listeners from around the world. Are there uh, are, are there other cheese entities? Um, I, I'm sure there are in Europe. But what about? Uh, Uh, In the Southern Hemisphere, in South America, Australia, Africa, are there other entities like that around the world?
1: There are for sure. In fact, the American Cheese Society is the Americas, so it is all the way from Canada down to Chile. So it's all of the Americas. And so we do have members throughout South America and Central America and Canada also Um, uh, on other continents. Yeah, there's definitely, there's big festivals and organizations in Australia, New Zealand. There's a biannual event that happens in Italy called Simply Cheese that's every second year. It just happened last month, so in two years it will happen again. That's probably the biggest cheese party on the planet. (laughs) Um, And even places like the Far East now are coming, you know, the, the cheese Revolution has, has spread to all corners of the globe at this point. And, yeah, there's professional organizations and judging competitions all over the world constantly now.
0: Mm. That's fantastic. And it, uh, I'm sorry, I grew up at a time when uh, Velveeta was the hot thing uh, to bring home, and uh, so it's really nice to see that um, things are just getting better and more interesting. Absolutely. Um, is it, well, you know, we're we're going to talk a lot about cheese, but I feel like we this is a a, a base we definitely need to stick our foot on. Um, can you give me the basics of how cheese is made?
1: Sure. In the, in the most rudimentary sense, you basically take liquid milk, you put it in a vat, uh, and actually uh, cheese making equipment and beer making equipment are almost interchangeable. In fact, I've seen breweries that have become creameries and creameries that have become breweries because the guts are pretty darn similar. Hmm. So you put the liquid dairy in the vats, you put some sort of coagulant in that liquid, the milk, the coagulant is going to break the milk and make it become curds and whey. The curds are the solid, the whey is the liquid.
0: What kind of coagulants would, what are we talking about when you say coagulants?
1: Uh, You know, the the traditional one would be rennet, and rennet is derived from uh, uh, the lining of a calf's stomach. Okay. So what makes, you know, food break down in a calf's stomach, the same thing as making that that milk break into those two components. But a a coagulate can also be vegetable-based, so it can be um, from thistle flowers. You can make a thistle rennet, and that's very common in, like, Portugal and Spain. Uh, you can make cheese break with an acid, like vinegar or lemon. It's just kind of like, what are you shooting for? The, the fun thing about cheese is I call it cheese your own adventure, uh-huh. where you're starting off with this very basic couple of ingredients, and then you, your family train this thing out by, you know, I'm going to do this coagulant, and then I'm going to drain it, and then I'm going to press it, and I'm going to cook it, or I'm going to do this coagulant, and I'm going to wash the curds, and then I'm going to wash the rind, and, you know. So it's just like beer making, where you've got these very basic ingredients, and then you're just like, okay, which way am I going to tweak these ingredients to its final end?
0: Well, and 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 uh, forgive me for derailing your description of cheesemaking, um, but when you add this coagulant um, of rennet, would that be a similar concept of using finings in a beer to help coagulate all the yeast and help them uh, uh, flock out, uh, like like ice and glass? Is it would that Somewhat, be, it?
1: yes,, um, Somewhat. but the main thing with the coagulant with cheese making is you're wanting those milk solids, you're running the curds is your primary thing that you want for your cheese making. okay Most of the whey is going to be drained off, and the whey becomes a byproduct that a good cheesemaker is going to incorporate into some other use uh, maybe as simply as going on to fields as as fertilizer or feed for other animals. But in this day and age, um, there's so many different ways to process whey that you've got people doing, you know, whey proteins that people are using in protein shakes and stuff like that. Sure, okay. But the, but the, the primary thing as a cheese maker, you're wanting that milk solid, that curd, to, to be your base ingredient for your cheese.
0: Okay. And then to that
1: curd, you're going to add other cultures and salts and tweak, tweak, tweak. You know, you're either going to cut and press the curd or you're going to cook the curd or you're going to wash the curd. So that's your first real diversion is what you do with that curd. And in general, like let's just say most basic cheese, that curd could just be hung in a bag. And, you know, four hours later, you've got a very basic spreadable cheese like chevre or fromage blanc. Okay. But if you want to do different things, you can cut the curd from as large as your thumb to as small as a grain of rice. The larger one's going to have more more bounce to it. The smaller ones, thing would be denser. So that, she, that cheese is going to pack denser into the form. And So cheeses like Conte or Gruyere are cut to that life size. Um, same with Parmesan. If anything that fits very dense, generally that curd's been cut very small and compressed and compacted. Okay. But with the cheese with more spring, it's going to be more a larger curd that is, you know, where you're wanting that spring still instead of that density. Interesting. And then you're going into, like, rind development. So you're either washing the rind and, you know, developing beeland on the rind. they giving it a stinky footy aroma and making it ripen from the outside in. Or you're developing a natural rind with a mold string called Luca that's, you know, protecting the outer edge of the cheese and letting the inside of the cheese continue on. But so it's, it's just so fun. I mean, that's where I think it's just amazing, all these different little tweaks you can do.
0: Well, and, and I, I usually liken that experience, you know, of course, you know, with a beer podcast, I think about that with beers, like we've got barley, we've got some hops, we've got some water, we've got some yeast. Um, and, and so if you think about it, it's like beers should be a lot more similar than they are, but there's just such a vast variety. And the analogy I often use is you give a good musician four chords to play with, and they'll come up with a thousand songs. Um, And it's just, the combination is, and and even if the combination is similar, how it's produced and presented is going to be vastly different as well. So it's just, you know, it's just a wonder of creativity and and talent. I agree 100%. Uh,
1: So...
0: uh, go ahead go ahead finish your thought oh I was just going to say
1: that that's why I love both beer and cheese so much is there's just so many combinations between the two of them that it's you'll never ever run out you know I, I think I could taste for the rest of my life and I would never run out of potential combinations
0: well and the thing that I love is you know you don't have to get fancy with the process and the ingredients because just, you know, just by keeping it simple it will become complex at some point and, and so it is to me, that's what keeps it interesting. Um, uh, but if, uh, so let's let's grab a cheese or pick a cheese and like a common cheese that everyone knows, but it is kind of a little bit more complex process, like a, a good blue cheese. Um, uh, and I know there's even different different types of blue cheese. But uh, you know mm-hmm. what what makes that blue cheese uh, a, a blue cheese?
1: So. But blue cheese, when we're back at that liquid dairy in the in the vat, you're adding a mold strain. Generally, it's penicillium roquefortium into that liquid dairy. So that mold is all the way through all that milk when it's still milk, and even before it's become curds and whey. And then you do the cheese making process. You put the cheese in the form. Generally, a few days later once the cheese is in the form and it's it's a wheel, it'll be pierced with needles. And what those needles are doing are giving little avenues of oxygen into the inside of the cheese. And that's where those blue veins are coming from. Mm. Because the, that mold needs that oxygen to bloom. And so once it blooms in there, every little crevice, you know, where that uh, between curds and stuff, that's where you're going to see those blue veins continue away from that needle poking. And so... With blues, you can have, you know, something very, very mild and approachable that you can barely detect the blueing. Or you can have something that's, uh, like I, I say, tongue-shockingly blue, like Cabrales is a, is a tongue-shockingly blue, where it almost feels like your tongue's being electrocuted with with the sharpness of the blue. Oh, wow. So there's a gigantic scope within that blue family. Um, for me, I would generally lean tw- towards the milder end of those blues if I'm going to pair of them with beer. Because that tongue-shocking, you're really going to have to have a, a beer with a lot of character to hang with that. So, if you stay on more like the Stilton end of the blue family, that's where I think you'll have better luck pairing blues with beer.
0: Yeah, I I, I remember um, one beer and cheese event. Uh, we actually pulled, I think it was a Cave H Stilton, if I remember, and and I don't remember all that well, um, but it was just a very uh, pasty. Uh, Stilton with just just a really pungent aroma and and the texture was just it was like almost oozing and uh, but the flavor was just out of this world but it was such a big uh, uh, impact of a cheese flavor that we stuck it with a double IPA and it was spectacular but anything else just couldn't stand toe-to-toe with it.
1: Yeah a lot of times with blues I'll end up with like an imperial's you know, bourbon barrel and pure aged stouts will will quite often play with those bigger blues nicely. Uh, barley wines have the have the guts to stand oh, up yeah. with them usually really nicely. Uh, but yeah, you, you generally you've got to go with those those much bigger flavors to hang with that blue for sure.
0: Yeah. So I, I guess that begs the question. You know. Um, people have been uh, i'm going to use the term brainwashed but uh if i were even more polite i'd say trained but i'm going to stick with brainwashed uh, <laughs> that that uh wine and cheese is the is is where one ought to go in higher society but you, you and i both know that wine and cheese is wonderful and i do not want to take anything away from wine and cheese pairings but what people are often surprised or even shocked by is beer goes with cheese as well as wine, and sometimes, I think, even better.
1: I I would agree 100%, and that's a big part of why we decided to write the book. Um, With wine, although you've got a lot of great qualities with wine, wine in general, mainly red wine, tannins just slowly deaden your palate. You know, where with beer, almost Mm -hmm. all beer has effervescence, and Mm -hmm. that effervescence will keep your your palate lively. You can continue to taste because your palate's kind of being scrubbed clean by the bubbles. Um, where where wine will really deaden your palate quickly. Um, And beer also, when you imagine the scope of just the gradation of style and weight, you know, wine has a great, great range of styles and weights, but beer has a far greater. It's just, you know, more tricks in your bag when you're working with beer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You've got
1: effervescence, you've got sweetness, you've got fruit, you've got spicy hops, you've got the beautiful esters and yeast, you know, you got all these different things that I mean, I I would take beer over wine if I had to go to battle any day, because it's just, you've got more depths of of tricks to pull from, for sure.
0: Well, it's good to know that you're on our side, Steve.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I love wine and cheese. And when we wrote this book, we tried really hard to make it be a very even playing ground. We picked 25 beers, 25 wines, 25 ciders. We tried to pick broadly throughout the families on all three. And then we tried to present everything on a very equal playing field. So, you know, the wine's not in a in a wine glass and the beer's in a, you know, party cup, you know, because I've done events where people will put out a nice uh, glass for the wine. And then they'll really and truly have one of those you know, red keg cups for the beer. And I'm like, well, that's not a fair fight, no, you know?
0: No, not at all. You know,
1: your, your aromas are going to be different, your visual impacts can be different, you know, everything about that experience. So we try to make this playing field as even as possible and then just let people, you know, make the call for themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think... Uh, from, from my standpoint now, I, I clearly have, uh, stuck my flag in the sand as far as beer goes. Um, but I, I, am one of those people where I definitely want to reach across the aisle. Um, I prefer beer over wine, but I still love wine and same thing goes with cider, sake and whiskey and all those things. Um, I think w- whenever I've put a, an event together, uh, especially I had the opportunity several times to do a wine, cheese, and beer combination event where we talked about each one the the goal of that was not to try and bring more people from the wine side to the beer side my goal for that was to help people identify things as flavors and stop drawing conclusions of i i'm a wine person or i'm a beer person that doesn't matter Uh I, i tried to help them understand that think about these in terms of flavors wine it has a wonderful flavor profile so does beer. If you start thinking of things in terms of flavor, then you'll be able, freed up to think about, okay, what flavors do I want to put together that will give me the end result that I'm looking for?
1: Exactly. Yep. And that's, and that's how we think professionally day in, day out, is is just breaking everything down to base flavors. You know, with, with that being beer, wine, cider, cheese, that's Any professional, that's how they're going to approach it. they're They're going to break down those flavors into all the base flavors and then consider it that way instead of as a whole as wine or as a whole as beer. It's like, well, let's look at all the components that make this a complete beverage.
0: Yeah. And just as a quick aside, I kind of want to put this in there in case there's someone listening that... That hasn't really considered this concept yet. Um, when I when I when we're talking about flavors, of course, we're really primarily talking about aromas, because um, you have taste, you have aroma, and and you have mouthfeel, and you put all those together, and that's what we consider flavor. But as far as tastes, we still have only like five or six tastes that we've identified as you can taste this, not that. But when we talk about, you know, uh, the flavor of wine, the flavor of beer, the flavor of cheese, that is primarily aroma driven yeah
1: and the cool thing about aroma is it's uh it's very evocative it's it's the most evocative of of any of your senses so it will take you it will take you to a place in your past i mean quite often we were tasting different things we were like this is like being in my grandma's kitchen you know oh yeah you just get that that memory it's a it's such a such a cool thing when a when a food will do that for you. Uh and that's I lo- I love that part of and that's all based in smell. I mean mm-hmm. smell is where your your deepest memories lie.
0: It, and it's funny, I've I've shared this uh kind of more philosophical conversation with some people that, you know, uh flavor is just another form of communication. And of course we think of communication primarily as Steve, right now you and I are talking, we are sharing words. Uh, that have a meaning and so therefore we are communicating with our words but art can communicate an emotion Uh, a song can communicate an emotion and a memory and stuff like that i think flavor has the same ability and you just brought up the perfect point is if if you encounter a smell that immediately takes you back to grandma's kitchen or um, whenever i get a wine or a beer that's musty it it, mm-hmm. it immediately takes me back to two places. I grew up in Southern California, so that musty smell. I actually, actually I don't want to drink it, but I love smelling it because it takes me back to the Pirates of Caribbean ride in Disneyland, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or I know exactly
1: where it comes right? from. Right,
0: right, because all that yeah. wood and all that water, it, you just get that musty smell. Or it takes me to my great grandfather's house in his basement, where there was just an open open uh, dirt floor basement. So there's just this moisture in the old wood because he built the house himself. And those are just happy memories. But I think flavors communicate in terms of memories, in terms of uh, experiences, and maybe even images. But um, I think it's important that we uh, kind of put that hypothesis out there that flavor is just another form of artful communication.
1: Yeah, I would agree for sure. And Mm. I think that's I think that's why people like sitting down at a table together. It's, it's, you know, it's a, yet another way to commune. You know, it's it's very, very uh, basic human, yeah, communication, and it's 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 a common need. You know.
0: Oh gosh, I, I I hope there's a time when you and I can uh, host an event together because I, I I already feel like we're on the edge of just going into outer space with this stuff because it's just <laughs> so good. All we need, all I need, is a beer in my hand and a, some good cheese on my plate, and, and we're you know it's time for takeoff. <laughs> um, uh, but so. Actually, I'm going to use that as a perfect little segue. So let's let's talk about when you know I've hosted some events. You've definitely hosted some uh, plenty of events. When you put together an event, um, you know obviously you, your goal is not to just feed people because you know that that could be anything. But um, I, I would assume that you're also trying to educate people. You're trying to provide for them an experience. Absolutely. What what are, what is it you're trying to teach or convey to your guests who come to your events? I'm,
1: I think I already touched on this briefly, but the, the main thing I see is my primary goal as a cheese monger or a you know a cheese educator is to demystify and make this product something that that you're not afraid of. So it's it's making the, making people be comfortable with things that they already know they enjoy. But just making it, like, I love sushi, but I'm a little uncertain as to, you know, do I like freshwater eel or, or saltwater eel better? You know, so it, my job as a, as a cheesemonger or cheese educator is being like, here's a sheep's milk cheese and kind of letting people know, oh, I do like sheep's milk cheese. And I've eaten sheep's milk cheese many times because I've eaten manchego and pecorino and so on and so forth. But just making them feel comfortable that this is, this is okay. We all start at a baseline at some point and then we build up from there. So I really enjoy teaching basic classes are my very favorite because it's taking people and, and bringing them into the fold and saying, okay, this, we're all good. We're all, you know, there's no bad questions. This is, you know, there's a lot to learn. I've been in cheese for 22 years. I think I know 10% of what there is to know. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is a lot. 10% yeah. all there is to know. <laughs> that's a lot. Um, you know, whenever I've had events, I I feel the same way. I I love um, kind of breaking down some barriers, uh, particularly those. Of, well, I'm a wine person, but I'll taste your beer. Um, it, during those events, I've I've heard people, especially you know devout wine drinkers, say, "Wow, I really like that beer better with this cheese." Yeah, I want to the great moment. <laughs> that's a, that, well, that's a great moment, but my goal is not to bring them to my beer side. My, my goal was to—I want to I break down those barriers that you have created in your mind. I want you to stop thinking in turn, terms of this versus that. I—I I, thing I love is to get people to think about, you know, flavors like we just talked about. The other thing I really love to do is I try and bring some educational element into my um, events where we we talk about why things are like, you know, for example, like American light lager, like Coors, um, for example, you know, these are beers that are now kind of frowned upon because of the craft beer industry. And, and especially in America, when you use the term tradition to, to some people, that means, well, we're doing it just because we've always done it that way. Well, there was a point in time when people Came to, or especially Germans came to America in the mid uh, 1800s. Excuse me, um, and they had to make some decisions on how to brew their beer because everything was different. They had different ingredients. They had to make some decisions. They had to make some changes. And there's a reason why things are the way they are. I love sharing mm-hmm. some of that knowledge so that people have a greater perspective. And even if it's something that they are not in love with they gain a little bit of appreciation, a little bit of understanding. And I think with that understanding and with breaking down those barriers of this versus that, then in my opinion, the entire world has the ability to open up and they have the opportunity for just such a sweeter, more impactful, more profound experience generally across the board.
1: Yep. I agree. It's, it's, and it's just fun. That's what makes you want to keep going further is that little Bit of a little bit of knowledge makes you hungry for a little bit more and, and I think we all generally enjoy history or I, I know most people in the food industry enjoy that his, his historical aspect of it and I think yeah it just gives you more meat to bite into to keep keep wanting to go back
0: yeah i i it just there's a little bit more context there a little bit you know I can look at a an abstract painting and go, huh, I don't get it. But with a little bit of backstory of uh, behind what was happening, or um, or just understanding uh, this event in history, uh, or watching a movie about this event in history is great and all. But you know, understanding what was happening during that time just brings a better appreciation of what it is we're spending our time on. And it makes it more worthwhile to me. I Agree. Um. So you you decided because you want to educate people, you know, like we like we just talked about and help them um, understand these experiences. You actually like we talked about in the very beginning of this podcast. You took the time to write this book, research this book, um, and you put uh, very uh, diplomatically, you put wine, beer, cider, uh, as and obviously all paired with different cheeses. Why did you decide to do that? What well, who is that book for?
1: It's for all four audiences, really. It's for people who like wine, people who like beer, people who like cider, people who like cheese. And most of those people don't, you know, don't go, they've got their, like you said, wine and cheese, wine and cheese, wine and cheese. Then you've got the beer dorks who are just like beer and cheese, beer and cheese, you know. And I I feel that there's merit in all three beverages. I feel like there's merit in almost any beverage with cheese, but mainly these three. I think they're all very, very worthy. Components to a to a cheese pairing, and uh, so we, we just really wanted to kind of respectfully show that all no, there is no winner. There's just degrees of good uh, good, bad, and ugly, basically. And we kind of found uh, that like wine wasn't always our wasn't always our favorite beverage, but the highs were higher. So, like, when we got a really good pairing with wine, it quite often was like, wow, you know, socks rolling off the feet. And beer was, you know, more, it paired more easily in general, but you got fewer of those highs. And the lows were quite often lower. Because beer, like mainly hops, hops accentuate any flavor. So, with a sheepy cheese, it becomes unbearably sheepy. Oh. Uh, hops are like a like a megaphone. You know, if there's a bitter note, it's going to accentuate that bitter note to where it's just so out of balance you don't want it. So, we kind of we kind of found you know although beer pairs better overall, the highs weren't as high and the lows were a bit lower. And the real common denominator of the three was cider. Cider appeared out first almost every time. Cider just is the secret weapon that goes great with with cheese, but it had very very few of those like. Socks rolling off the feet moments, but if you just want to succeed consistently, fighters that you know B plus day in day out. Wow! So it was it was kind of fun to go through and just see that if you were to graph it, they'd all end up at about the same final number. But it's just how did you get to that final number? You know, with these super high highs and these super low lows, or these very consistent mid grades. So it, it was it was very eye-opening after a couple of years of doing this, being like, okay, we're consistently seeing these things. Now, that being said, you'll still find the perfect pairing that you're like, wow, that is the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. You know, uh, like my personal favorite I think I've ever had is I I love supplication with a really, really perfectly ripe camembert. It's just one of those
0: just oh, yeah. absolutely
1: stunning moments where you're like, that's perfect.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, you know, it's funny you say that because, um, you know, one of the things I gleaned just from, uh, reading your book and going through the references, um, I, at least I skimmed through those. I'll dive into those, uh, more deeply when I put another event together for sure. But, um, I, I guess I, I had been so, uh, focused on beer for the last few years that I haven't really, uh, given cider much of thought. And so now I, I need to, uh, Open up my uh, point of view a little bit and and see what I can do uh, with some ciders, or at least be open to trying those. Um, but you know, when you say cider was a perfect go-to move, it's funny when I think about those beers that uh, that tended to be more of a hey, this works with most everything. They they had some uh, similar qualities to a cider, like a, a really good tropical IPA that wasn't too bitter but had a lot of tropical citrus notes, uh, 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 aroma notes from the hops, or even just a really, um, a really good, slightly tart Saison that wasn't mm-hmm. too phenolic, that wasn't too funky, but just really a little bit more on the, like the fruity side. Those were just, in fact, with Bear, I mean, a really good, um, uh, Saison that isn't too funky too much. That, that is one of my favorite pairings. Um, and, and so I, Given that, I can see how a cider would come in and just kind of, you know, bulldoze some of those walls down.
1: Yeah, for for certain. Yeah, it's, it's a fun one to play with. And it's the one whenever you do a class with all three, the audience are like, you know, they're like, I didn't realize I liked cider, you know, or I didn't realize how good cider was with food. And I think cider, I seldom would sit and have a pint of cider, but give me food and cider and I'm, I'm going to sit at that table for hours. Because mm. it's just, it's such a good food beverage, it's got it's got acidity, it's got generally lower ABV, you know, quite often effervescence. The fruit itself is you know a real easy foil So If you, you've got a lot of lot of cool tricks in that cider bag,
0: for sure. That's great. Um, so you know, you do a lot of uh, beer education. I'm sorry, uh, cheese education with beer, wine, cider, everything else. Do you? Do you essentially take your show on the road? Do you travel to do events, or it, do you just pretty much? St- no, stay we right do. On? Uh, cause the American Cheese Society is
1: uh, in a different city every year, so um, we've done these events all over the country at at ACS. Um, I also we did. Uh, do you know about Feast Portland, that food festival that we have, it's like every September?
0: I, I'm aware of it, but I have not attended yet. That's on it, my to do Sponsored list.
1: by Bon Appetit, um, and it's this big, super dorky food festival. And a couple of years back, they said, "Hey, uh, do you want to be a moderator for a uh, cheese, beer versus wine?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd love to," but I don't want to just sit at tables and talk about the merits of beer and wine. I said, "Let's let's make this really fun," and we made it. A, we called it a snackdown. And we dressed up like uh, all-star wrestlers, and I was the referee. And oh, that's great. We used a cowbell, and we had round after round, where we would come out, and I would present a cheese, and then like uh, Christian DiBenedetti, who wrote the Great American Ale. Oh
0: yeah, I did, know Christian. Yeah,
1: yeah, he was our beer guy, and he's all in the full Mexican wrestling costume. <laughs> and, you know, he's throwing slang at that at the at the wine guy, which we had a couple different uh, different wine people from uh, different major publications. And it was just a lot of fun. And so that we ended up touring around. We took that down to San Francisco for a couple of events and stuff. But yeah, we've we've taken it on the road quite a bit actually.
0: Oh my gosh. We, I I would love to do something like that. In fact, uh you remember that movie from way back when, uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I always thought it would be wonderful to do some uh, Thunderdome matches where two drinks enter, one drink leaves, type of thing. Yeah, you know, exactly. Beer versus wine, go! <laughs> and and, and uh, just as a fun competition, but just kind of like you know, kind of turn it into one of those things. I think that would just be, I think that would be a crowd pleaser type of event. And uh, I got to get to feast. Yeah, it's fun, but yeah,
1: that's that's it. A- that's more my style when I'm teaching I like to I like to make it fun and approachable and seek you know I, we can all be serious and I can teach a serious class but I think it's a lot more fun to you know laugh about it and I tell people I learn a lot more from train wrecks than I do from great success you know if something's horrible in my mouth I'm not gonna put that in there again oh yeah. you know so you you learn it's like oh happy beer and sheeps milk cheese not good you know
0: Oh yeah you, you, you we, get that revolting
1: sensation a couple times, and your body's like, let's remember not to
0: do that. Oh, yeah. When, whenever something goes bad, we often ask ourselves, what the hell just happened? So we start <laughs> analyzing it, and we, we learn from it. When it's something just amazing, like, oh, that was great. I hope that happens again. Well, it's yeah. good to analyze both experiences, but we tend to analyze the bad ones more just just so we can avoid them.
1: It's a survival instinct. Uh, totally. Yeah, it's
0: primal. Um, you, what do you wish— More people knew when it came when it comes to cheese and beer.
1: Ah, Just how good they could be. I mean, uh, it's like I was saying. You know, beer has all these great pairing components. You know, I love the multi beers are probably my favorite beer to pair with cheese. That sweet malty note is just such an easy boil for like a nutty cheese. Mm-hmm. Um, but also esters, you know, the esters and yeast are just like so fun and you can get you can get such cool little things just off the aromatics of, of the esters that, that work really nice with like a tangy fresh goat smoked cheese. You know, that it's just there's so much cool depth with beer. And if people, you know, will will step back and think of it as the entire gradation, the entire palette of beer. There's just so many fun options, you know, and I can I can basically find a beer for anybody who even thinks they hate beer. I can get a beer and cheese pairing. I can get them to say I actually really like that because most people, if they think they hate beer, they've had you know one you know Bud Light or one triple IPA or something that turned them off, and they're just like I hate beer. and It's like no, well, that's really pretty narrow to say I hate this entire family of beverages. Sure. You know, so I think wine, once again, it's just that that depth that you've got, or with beer, that depth is, is really what I get excited about when I'm pairing beer with cheese.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, it, I, when I've had those same conversations with people and I, you know, I'll tell them that yeah, if I tasted those beers that turned you off, I'd probably hate beer, too. Let me show you how much better it can be. Um but it's funny how how many times you get a cheese plate and you know, there's usually a piece of like apple or pear on there. Well, you can get apple and pear flavored esters from lots of different hops and some yeast. So it's like skip the fruit. Let's just add some beer with it, and you've got everything you need. Yep, which is wonderful. Yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah, and it's just yeah that 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 depth of ingredients, that depth of flavor. Just mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a real winner. And I think if people have an open mind we've had hundreds of classes over the years, and it's very seldom that somebody will sit through the entire class and just be like, I still hate beer and cheese. And it's like, you know, it's it's maybe one in a hundred. Because mm-hmm. usually you've, you've turned them on, hopefully, to a new style of cheese or a new style of beer or a new combination of the two that, you know, one and one equals four, you know, when you put the two together, where they're like, I didn't like either component, but together I think it's amazing, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's
1: what we're always striving for is that magic of, the perfect pairing where the two become a greater
0: third. Yeah, I call that my the zing boom pow effect. Yeah, it, it just you know by it, by itself they're hey they're not bad but together it's it's a whole new world, Mm-hmm. and it's a very legitimate experience.
1: Yeah, we find that a lot with like um, imperial stouts and triple crenns. Mm. That's one that you know a lot of times they'll have someone in the classroom be like, I just really don't like beer. And I'm like, well, okay, try this combination. And, you know, the stout alone, they would take a sip of it and be like, definitely not. But the two together, they put that triple cream in their mouth, and they let that coat their palate. And then they add the stout, and suddenly it's chocolate cake batter. And, you know, who doesn't want to eat chocolate cake
0: batter? Yeah.
1: It's, it's just that the very sexy experience of a, your mouth is coated, and, you know, it's, it's become this third flavor that is so much different than the other two that it's kind of like wow and you get that almost all the time when you serve that at the
0: end of the course oh wow oh that's just fantastic um well you know uh for the sake of time uh, i'm going to go ahead and start uh my wind down question process um but but if there's anything you want to add we'll we'll give you a chance to add it at the end if that's okay sound good sure yeah so uh i i'm i'm I now uh, pronounce you king of the beer world for the day and by extension, the cheese world, because, you know, I have this magical mystical power, uh, through uh, radio. Um, but you are now the, uh, king of the beer and cheese world for a day. What are you going to change?
1: Whew. Boy, oh boy. Um, just open mindedness. You know, that that would be all I would ask for. And I think in this day and age that would be a good lesson across the board actually. You know, there, there's no there's no one right and wrong. There's different different rights and wrongs. So just keep an open mind, come to the table with a an open mind and an open palate and just, you know, let let your let your tongue guide you.
0: Well, you are a very benevolent king. I've had other people say, "Well, if we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And we're going to mandatory education."
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, i I I like to believe that there's still hope for humankind. You know, so go uh, people.
0: <laughs> right on. Um, okay, so this one, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm anxious to see how you answer this one. Um, uh, so, uh, if you had the opportunity to choose your very last beer. Or cider, or wine, in your very last meal, or cheese, uh, before you depart this earth. What would you put together?
1: Oh, geez, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually had this conversation in my head before, and it's such a kind of morbid one. Because uh, I'm always like, oh, God, what, what would my last intentional beer be? And at that point, am I being executed? You know, why? Why do I know I'm dying? Um, But I think it would probably be, most cheesemongers love wash-drain cheeses, so those stinky, footy, bacon fatty, Mm -hmm. stewed onion. You know, they're very umami rich. Uh, I'd probably do some wash-drain cheese with a nice malty beer. And it's funny, because if you were to just say, what's your last beer gonna be, I would never be a malty beer. Um, but with, with that cheese, I would, I would say, you know, maybe like a roast for six and, okay, yeah. um, and a nice washcloth cheese. Like, I don't know if you know this cheese, Oma, that's produced that uh, in Northern Vermont.
0: I've it's had really, it. Yes.
1: Yeah. From Bon Trapp family. Uh, that, that might be something like that. You know, that's just, it's a known quantity of, it's going to be very, very satisfying. You know, and you're not going to eat it quickly. You're going to linger over it and really enjoy it. Yeah, I think that that would probably be something like what I would end up choosing.
0: Wow. And and so uh, the Oma from uh, the Von Traub family, do I remember correctly that that is the actual family from the uh, the real story uh, that became The Sound of Music? You
1: were correct, yes.
0: That's right. I, I have had that. We've we've used that in a pairing, and it's been a while since I've tasted it. I'm going to have to come visit you, but... Um... That's the other thing I love is all of these beers and all of these cheeses have a very, um, sometimes the story is less compelling than others, but every one of them has an interesting story. And this, oh, one, yeah. and this one in particular has an insanely interesting story.
1: Yeah. I mean, as does Rose 4-6, you know, you think about the history of, of that monastery and those beers, you know, it's like, that's, I think. Nobody's in this industry to get rich, or or only maybe a handful of us are. We're all in it for the stories. We're all in it for the the lifestyle. You know, it's like we all want to emulate our our idols. You know, we want to be the people who do good and and do right by products and, you know, do right by the earth and do right by the farm. So I think that's why we all do what we do, because it's it's the pure love of, of the idea of the thing.
0: Yes, we are the traveling folk musicians of the beer world. Yep. Um, so in, in, uh, we've talked about a lot of things, and you've uh, tasted and experienced lots of things. But if you had to sum it all up into one answer uh, for this question, I'm curious to see what it would be. But um, everything, we've, everything you've experienced, why does good beer matter? And by extension, why does good cheese matter, too? It would be a similar question.
1: I think it's really easy, actually. I think it's because there's such a shareable thing. You know, it's—I mean, uh, personally, like I I opened a a beer out of my cellar six months ago, late at night. I was like, I wanted one more beer, and I was like, I'll try this. It's pretty old. It might not even be any good. And I opened it. It was like eleven o'clock at night. My family was away from home, and I started drinking this beer, and it was amazing. And I was alone with this beer, and I was so sad. Because I didn't have anyone to share it with, and I started like texting friends and like, do you happen to be awake? You know, because I really wanted to share that beer. And so it was like really eye-opening to me, like how much we all love sharing these kind of products. You know, an amazing beer out of your cellar is twice as good if you're sharing it with friends. You know, Uh, when we're at these cheese events, we have this thing we call pocket cheese, where all the different mongers end up at going and rolling around, and they're, they're buying cheese from different vendors. And you, you end up sitting at a table to have lunch beside somebody, and everyone pulls out their pocket cheese. And everyone's trying, you know, they, they want to share what they've found. It's that act of sharing that I think, you know, that's really what makes this whole thing special, sharing beer, sharing cheese, sharing something you found. You know, it's, it's, it's what makes it all, you know, great and fun.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I had a similar experience recently um, I interviewed uh, a gentleman who has the brewery uh, called bean curd turtle he's actually a gypsy brewer another uh, another podcast uh, for good beer matters that's already released you know, please go check it out but um, he uh, you you can't just go find his beer in the store he he he's uh, you know home brews in his own time but he's actually um, a gypsy brewer and has traveled internationally to help other breweries do stuff but he actually sent me a couple of his beers one of them was a collaboration he did with uh phantom brewery in belgium Mm -hmm. just a delicious farmhouse beer um and it it was a a 750 uh, mil bottle that i decided okay i'm going to open up i want to taste this stuff before i talk with them it was the same situation Uh, my wife and kids were gone my kids would share it anyway but i tasted it and it was and it was just pure heaven. So I, I went back for more. Went back for more because I couldn't stop. It was so good. I drank the whole thing, but I had no one there to talk about it with. I had, and that was the, that was my biggest thing is I couldn't tell anyone about this. There was no one there to share it with me. There was no one that the the, the best I could do was just stick it on Instagram and just you know share with the Instagram land um, about yeah. the spirit because it was just it was just it was too too much for just. I felt, um, gosh, it, it, I felt, uh, selfish just kind of keeping it to myself. (laughs) Yeah, It it was just such a great experience. Yeah.
1: yeah, I, I understand exactly.
0: Oh gosh. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I, I'm right there with you and, and your answer for that question. Thank you. Um, Uh, So if if there are people out there listening to this and they want to learn more about uh, cheese, want to learn more about the ACS or about you or your cheese bar in Portland and all the stuff that we talked about, where can they go to connect?
1: Um, Well, ACS has a a fairly solid website for sure. Um, Cheese bar has a pretty rudimentary website, but uh, we would love to have you come in to cheese bar, obviously. We're open seven days a week from 11 to 11, closed on Mondays. Um, yeah, and there's lots of other great resources. Um, if you really like cheese, one of my favorite, uh, things that I get every week is a planet cheese that Janet Fletcher, uh, writes. She's based down in Napa and she loves beer too and quite often writes about beer and cheese together. Um, there's, they have that, boy, oh boy, I'm kind of blindsided by this one. So many good resources, um. Yeah. I don't, I don't
0: know what else to say by my book. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I can definitely vouch for that. Um, I will also add links to this post. Um, in fact, I, I did doing some research. I found, uh, Janet Fletcher's, uh, I, is it a blog? Is yeah. Yeah. Of cheese, but, yep. there, but there's a, um, but there's, uh, there's you with, uh, some interesting looking cheese glasses. Uh, um, so I, I will, I will, uh, stick that in the show notes too, but it's just, I mean, there's so many, there's so many ways to learn more or at least as much as you want to learn it. It's, it's all right there. And you guys are the perfect stewards of sharing this knowledge.
1: Yep. And I would just say, you know, go to a great cheesemonger, buy some cheese and then go to your favorite brewery and share it with your friends. You know, that's the best way to keep on learning.
0: Perfect. You just answered my next question, uh, which was any final words of wisdom. But uh, do you have anything else you want to share in that thought before we before we uh, wrap it up?
1: Um,
0: no, I think that's
1: you know do you know support support a, a local cut to order cheese monger if you can. Uh, you're going to always have a better experience there. And yeah, well, no, just go to breweries and talk to the bartenders and talk to the brewers and just enjoy beer and cheese with your friends.
0: Excellent, and don't be afraid to experiment. That's it.
1: absolutely. I've, I've, uh, I've, I I I
0: I challenge myself to try to pair a beer with Pepper Jack. I do not like Pepper Jack. I never have, uh, and I can't explain why. But I I grabbed it uh, one day just to say, okay, what can I put with this to make it better? And I found a a uh, Scottish beer, particularly a Scottish wee heavy, was was made that beer very very palatable uh, for me. So, nice, uh, so, nice, so try things and even if you think you don't like them try them again because things change exactly steve thank you so much for coming on to this podcast i absolutely love this conversation i am looking forward to uh meeting you in person at the cheese bar and continuing this offline of course but preferably with a drink in our hand i'm with you well thank you for being on the podcast and i will talk to you soon
1: it's my pleasure
0: cheers jeremy cheers The world of beer has become increasingly aware of flavors and nuance. The same goes for cheese. It is our job to serve as a guide to cultivate better experiences when we pair the two together. Luckily, we have resources like Steve and his book to help us do better when helping others find better. Join us in the next episode where we visit with a professor who schools us on how to make beer culture as inclusive as it should be. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together, but it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment, so if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers.